0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> so some of you might know who I am, hopefully. A lot of you know who I am, but I know I don't know a lot of you guys, and some of you guys have probably never seen me before, except for the announcement videos. Um, but I'm Giselle. I am the part-time children's minister here at Oakton Church, um, and, well, I am just really happy um, and to be here, of course, and to up here. I usually come to 8 a.m. service, so that's also a reason. So during this service, I'm usually walking around and checking on all the teachers and on the kids and hoping that your kids are okay. (laughs) Um, Okay, so before we start, I'm going to ask you guys if you would like to pray with me. So if everyone could bow their heads. Dear Heavenly Father God, thank you for this incredible day, and thank you for allowing us to be here to come to worship your amazing, incredible, glorious name. We thank you for allowing us to be here at this moment, <clears throat> and we ask you at this moment, God, that you may manifest your spirit over us, God, that you may pour your spirit in me, that the words I say may be the words that you want your people to hear, that you may speak through me, and anything that is against you or against your word, God, that you may just take out. And I also lift up to you the people they are in your hands and pour your spirit in them, that when you speak, that they may apply the word in, your, in their lives, that they may keep your word in their hearts, that they may listen to what you have to say to them in any way you want them to hear. And we ask say your name, Jesus. Amen. If you guys know Grace Compton, then you know that she is crazy talented and very, very creative in all that she does. If you don't know who Grace Compton is, well, (laughs) take it from me. She is very creative, and she is super talented in everything that she does. This past semester, she had a ceramics class that she took. And one of her very first pieces, she gave to her mom as a Christmas present. And well, instead of me trying to describe it, I'm just going to show you what it is. How about them cowboys, am I right? All right. (laughs) Okay. This is what Grace made. It's beautiful, isn't it? And one of the most crazy, talented, incredible, creative things about it, too, is that this was one of her very first things that she made in her class. Now, the thing about this, too, is though, in order to get to here, it had to start somewhere. It didn't, she just didn't grab this out of the cupboard or out of the cabinet and said, all right, I'm done. There was a beginning. At the beginning, this was nothing. At the beginning, this was nothing at all. It had to start somewhere. So I messaged Grace because I don't know anything about making clay or pottery. And I said, hey, Grace, can you give me a step-by-step process on how this works and how it's supposed to be made? Because I think I could use this for sermon illustration. So she said, yeah, sure. So she messaged me the step-by-step process. First step, you have to make the clay. I thought the clay was already made. So she said, you have to make the clay. So she had to pour buckets of minerals and water into a mixer in order for it to be made. Once the clay was done, she had to knead it over and over again, kneading it, kneading it, so that all the particles could compact together and so that it could be workable, and to make it strong. Once she has it done and once she's done kneading it, she then has to make it into a shape. She has to think of what she wants to make it. So for the vase, she had to do a specific process. She did a coil building process. Now if you don't know what coil building is, I didn't either. So I YouTubed a video to figure out how to do it. If you guys have ever played with Play-Doh when you were young, or if your kids ever played with Play-Doh when they were young, when you make a snake out of Play-Doh, you grab the clay and you kind of do this, right? Or you kind of roll it to make a long string. That's basically what this coil building process is, except in a much more professional way. And you begin to stack the coils over each other to make the form of the shape that you want. And once you've made the shape, you begin to smooth it out in order for the whole thing to be smooth and the shape could just come together. So you used water and a tool to kind of smooth everything out. Then it's the decorating process. You can either stamp little designs on it, like flowers, or you could do cutouts, which is what she did. That's why there's little um, shapes on there. Once you're done with cutting it out and stuff, you have to let it dry slowly. Don't mess with it, don't touch it, don't fix it up. Let it dry slowly. And once it's done drying, it won't crack, and it's time to biscuit. What it means to biscuit it's to put it in a low-temperature firing. Now, this low-temperature firing will help the, the, the clay harden up, and that way it can also hold a glaze. You want it to hold a glaze because that's the stuff you kind of want to make it have the different colors on it, the different design on it. So, of course, after the bisking it, she glazed it. And once she's done glazing it, it's the last step to the process. It is time to put it in the main firing. Now, because this is a vase and it's pretty big, she had to do a high-fired firing. So she had to put it into something that was over 2,000 degrees. That's pretty hot. (laughs) And then it's done, and she made the vase. Now, I don't know a lot about clay, as I mentioned before, but one thing I do know about clay is that clay doesn't talk or at least the clay I've ever been around. Clay doesn't speak. It doesn't have any words. It's an object. The clay didn't stop Grace and say, hey, 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 Grace, could you, instead of making me a vase, can you make me into like a super cool bowl that way people could eat ramen out of me? I mean, come on. I think that's pretty awesome. Or, hey, Grace, how about you stop needing me because that kind of hurts and, you know, it hurts my feelings. It hurts me. So could you stop? Or, hey, Grace, how about you don't put me into a 2,000-degree oven? I think that'd be great. The clay did not talk back. Grace had the clay in her hands. Grace was the artist. She was the one that had control. And she knew the necessity of the process that the clay had to go through in order to get to where it was getting to. She knew the necessity. She knew what had to be done. She knew the purpose for her creation. The clay, although it was inanimate, in a way had to trust grace, had to trust the maker's hands because the maker knows best. And there's a group of people in the Bible, the Israelites, they had to be reminded about this. They had to be reminded that their maker, God, knew better for them, knew what was best for them. So he tried to talk to them because what they were doing, they began trying to form themselves and make themselves. They tried to copy other nations and trying to put all these different things on them that didn't, weren't supposed to be there. And they began to lose the beautifulness that God had given them. They weren't pretty anymore. And because of that, God sent a man, a young man named Jeremiah, and he said, Jeremiah, I need you to go and tell these Israelites that they need to let me do something amazing in them. I want to do and I want to show them something incredible. I want to bring them back to where they once were, but they need to let me. And we can reflect that on our lives today. We can see that in our lives today. So today we're going to see what happens when we allow God to be the potter in our lives once again. So we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 18, verses one through three. Jeremiah 18:1 through3. It says, <clears throat> "Excuse me, the word of the Lord, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise, and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at his wheel. God has something to show you. God has something to show me. But you see, in order to know what that thing is, what he wants us to see, we you, me, have to be willing to go somewhere. We have to be willing to move, whether that's physically, whether that's spiritually, we have to be willing. Maybe one thing you don't know about Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a really young guy, if no one knows who Jeremiah is. He was a really young guy, he was a youth, and when God calls him, Jeremiah says with his excuses, of course, we all have excuses, and Jeremiah says, whoa, whoa, God, I'm too young to do this. I'm I'm really young. I mean, I've heard about what happens to prophets. It doesn't really end pretty for them. God, I am too young. And you know, I also can't really speak that well. So I don't know. I don't think I'm your guy. But God always has a response because he doesn't make mistakes when he calls you. And he said, Jeremiah, do not try to tell me that you are too young. Hey, because guess who made you? Oh, yeah, that's right, me. Guess who formed you in your mother's womb? Oh, that's right, me again. Guess who made your mouth so that you can speak? Oh, ding, 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 it was me. I made you, so you, Jeremiah, you are going to go where I tell you to go, and you're going to say what I tell you to say. And that was it for Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, well, all right, God, I'll do it. And that kind of reminded me of something. You know, I don't have kids, obviously, but I have five other siblings. I have worked at daycares ever since I was 17, and I've also been in children's ministry for a good while now. And one thing I have noticed, no matter what kid it is, no matter what's going on, if you tell a kid to do something or if you tell a kid to not do something, there's a one-word response that you constantly get from them, because they need to know. Why? Why can't I climb on this tree with my pretty dress or my sunny best on? Why can't, I fi- why can't I chew this piece of gum that I found on the floor? Why can't I climb on this staircase like Spider-Man? Why can't I put my shoes on in the mud again? Why, why, why? And you know, as adults, we kind of get irritated, it gets us on the edge, because we're like, we know, we know what you need, we know what you shouldn't do, so just listen. But the really ironic thing about it all is that as adults, we do it all of the time. God, why do I need to forgive this person for what they did to me? Do you know what they did? Are you sure I, can, I need to forgive them? God, why do I need to love this person if all they do is disrespect me and, dis, and just demeanor me? Why do I need to do this? God, why do I need to be generous if that person is just going to probably throw away the money and use it for something useless? God, why? why do I need to do all of this? You're not the only ones. I've had my share of whys. When I was in high school, I dated this guy, and we were together for over two and a half years. When I went into college, my first semester in college, up here in Missouri, because I'm from Texas, the first semester I was in, um, in college, I had a discipleship class. And the amount Of stuff that I learned in that class was incredible. But we kind of talked about, you know, who God has created you to be, who, what it means to be a disciple in your relationships, in any kind of relationship that is around you. And I realized that the relationship I was in was not a God glorifying one. From the very beginning, I thought, hey God, can I date him, please? Like I promise, he's gonna love you, he's gonna grow, he's gonna come to church with me every Sunday. I'm gonna make him come. And that's what was my mindset. He's going to change. After that, later in the relationship, our focus became more on each other than it became on my relationship with Christ. We crossed boundaries that we shouldn't have crossed. We lost track of the goal of becoming more like Christ instead of trying to just get closer to each other. And, of course, God said, you know what you're supposed to do. And I knew what I was supposed to do, but, you know... I was like, I don't know, God. Are you sure? Over two and a half years. I don't know. Maybe something can change. But God said, you know what you're supposed to do. I learned that with every why that we have, God has a response for us. A response that we just can't help but agree with. We broke up and for the beginning, it was hard, of course. But over the next years, God would show me that through the next mistakes that I made, through the next errors I made after that, God would show me that my joy, my self-worth, my whole self is to be found in him, not in anything or in anyone else. And the most incredible thing, too, is that he, if, because I allowed him to mold me and to use me and to begin to change me into the vessel that he wanted me to be, He was molding me to prepare me for the guy that I would end up spending the rest of my life with. And if you guys don't know him, it's Kyle Compton, so just saying. (laughs) He wants to show us what he wants to do in our lives. He is so excited to show us what he can do and what he wants to do because he has something amazing in store for us. He wants to shape you. He wants to shape me. But he can't unless we move, unless we allow him to, unless we move. But something is keeping us stuck. Something is keeping you, something is keeping me from moving. So why are you stuck? Why am I stuck? What is it that's holding us back? What is it that's holding us back that we think God can't use that for his glory? We're going to keep reading. Verse 3 to 5 says, "So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making seemed good, or sorry. So I went, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do." Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, dec- declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. You know, I find verse four extremely interesting, because at first, when I first read it, I thought, Oh. Spoiled clay, he's probably going to throw it away. I mean, I'd do that with spoiled clay if I didn't need it anymore. But instead, this potter does something that I did not expect. He grabs the clay and puts it back into the vessel and reworks the whole thing. As good as for him, it seemed good to do. He didn't throw it away. And, you know, in the the NLT, Pastor Kent mentioned this, so I thought about adding it in. And the NLT, the way it's worded is that the clay that he had did not turn out as good as it was supposed to. So he grabs it and puts it back in. He reworks the whole thing. And, you know, I was digging because I was also kind of confused because I didn't know clay spoiled. I didn't know about that. So I looked into this commentaries, and I looked into, you know, Google, does uh, does clay actually spoil? And what I found, and what many commentaries say, is that it's not technically that, you know, are kind of spoiled, where, you know, rotten apple or something like that. Not that kind of spoil, but that it hardened. And if you know about clay, then you know if you add some water into it, then it's okay, and you can start reworking it all over again. The potter knew that. He knew that that spoiled piece of clay wasn't useless. And he could use it to rework the whole entire thing. So he was letting Israel know, hey Israel, I can reshape you into who you are supposed to be. I can rework you. I can bring you back to the people that I created you to be. And can I not do with you as this potter has done with his clay I can use those lumps, but, but notice one more other thing, when he reworks it, he does it as it seemed good to the potter, not as it seemed good to the clay, as it seemed good to the potter, that's how he reworks the clay. Because the potter knows what he needs to do. Israel was going to have to allow God to do it as it seemed good to God. Why? Because the potter knows the purpose. The potter knows that he has a plan for his vessel. Even though the messed up lump was there, even if it was spoiled, that did not stop him from getting to the finished product and israel 's mistakes israel um, israel 's errors and their ignorance and their rebelliousness, it was not going to stop God from where He wanted them to go to, from where He wanted them to be and Then I began to think more, and I thought, okay, God, I kind of see where you 're going with this. I see the the potter, the clay, but what about all these other lumps? What if the lump's too big what if it 's just way too spoiled? And I thought, what is my messed up lump? What is your messed up lump? What is your spoiled clay that you are holding on to, that you are stuck in? Maybe you hold on to anger and you allow that anger to control you and to control whatever you do in your decision making. Maybe you enjoy comparing yourself to others and it it gets in too deep that you forget how to love yourself and you don't even know how to love yourself because you're so focused on how everyone else is. You know, maybe you are a people pleaser and you sacrifice your own values in order for others to like you or for others to not think you're a weirdo. Or maybe you're lazy. Maybe you have a problem with lust. Maybe you have a secret sin that no one knows about and you think you're good at hiding it. Maybe you cross boundaries with that guy or you cross boundaries with that girl that you're in a relationship with because you think you can keep them, keep them to stay. Or maybe you're too prideful to see that you still need to be worked on. Whether you're in wild youth or whether you're in golden ages. The work never stops. There's something I got to let you guys know. All those lists of stuff that I just said, God's not going to be stopped by them. God won't be stopped by them. By our messed up lumps, by our spoiled clay, by our shortcomings, by our pride, that's not going to stop him. Because our God, we serve a God that is a God of transformation. That is his business. He works in transforming the lives of people. And if you don't believe me, I mean, just read the Bible. There is lists and lists of people who allowed God to transform their lives. From the very beginning, Joseph, a guy who loved to dream, who has ended up getting sold by his own brothers, ends up becoming second in command in Egypt. Oh, if that's not enough, well, there's Moses. Moses murdered a guy. He murdered a guy. He looked both ways, ran away. Then God calls him again from a burning bush and says, Moses, you're going to go back and lead my people out of Egypt. Oh, if that's still not enough, well, there's a woman named Esther. Esther was beautiful. Esther was an orphan. Both of her parents had died. She gets adopted by her cousin Mordecai. She gets sent into this competition for women to who was going to win the king's heart. And she ends up becoming the queen of a nation. And also saves her people from genocide. If that's still not enough, there's a man named Saul who killed, persecuted, went after Christians, tried to kill them. And he ends up being transformed. 360 transformation. And he ends up becoming one of the greatest apostles that we know as Paul. And if that's still not enough, 12 misfits fishermen, tax collector, rebels. They were all misfits, they were all outsiders, but Jesus says, you're gonna follow me, you're gonna be my disciples, and you're gonna be my best friends. God is a God of transformation. They allowed God to move in them. They allowed God to mold them into the person, into the people that he created them to be, and they were transformed, and we tell their stories now till today. All these people were transformed, but why? Because he can use the imperfect and the inadequate for his honor and for his praise. That is what our God does. God did big things despite their spoiledness. But there's also a big major factor that we sometimes forget about because we pray for transformation. We pray for God to use. And you say, Giselle, I'm always praying for God to mold me. I always want God to do this. The big major factor is that these people moved. These people did not stay where they were at. They knew that they were going to have to move in order to get to where God was trying to get them. It was a process. A process that they were gonna have to say yes to. And they allowed God to mold them, and he said, can't I do with you like, I, like this potter has done with clay. God is telling us, can't I do with you as I have done to all these people in history? Can't I do that with you? The process is not going to be easy. If it was easy, we'd all be perfect. There'd be no point in listening to this sermon. It's not gonna be easy because the, pro- the tr- process of transformation will hurt You'll have to say bye to something or someone that you love because you love God more. You'll sacrifice the pleasures of this world that are pulling you away from God. You're going to have to sacrifice your comfort to go somewhere he is calling you. He's going to need you in this process. He's going to need you constantly through trials of faith so that you can become stronger and that you can become workable. He will shape you and form you even if you don't know what he's forming you into. He's going to shape you and form you, but you can't say, God, why don't you make me like that person over there? Or God, what about you keep this and you leave something else out? Or, God, why, don't, why can't I decide how I look? And God's saying, no, 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 that's not how this works. When you ask me to mold you, I'm in control because you're in my hands. And then you're going to have to go through the fire. The fire is not going to be easy. But it is very important to go through it to get to the finished product. The fire is important because the fire will refine your character. The, the fire will f- refine your personality. The fire will purify your heart, restore your soul, purify your mind. That is what the fire does. The indwelling spirit will do and move the way it needs to in your life, but you have to allow it. You have to be willing. And just like kids, you're going to ask why. Why do I need to give this up? Why do I need to do this? And sometimes you're not going to understand the process. Sometimes you're not going to understand what's going on because it's going to be that hard. But in Romans chapter 9, verse 20 through 21, Paul, the guy that went through a big transformation, has something to tell us about this. Romans nine twenty through twenty one says, "But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded, molded, say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Be the clay." We are the clay. And he is the potter. He is the potter. We are the clay. He is the one who created us. So he knows our purpose. He knows who we are. And so, who are we as the clay to pretend to try to be the potter and to question the potter, to question the maker? He knows what he's doing. He knows our purpose. He knows the fire that we withstand. He understands and he knows. He is the potter, the one who wants to mold us into the beautiful masterpieces we are supposed to be, that we will be one day. This whole life is the process. And if you don't know who Jesus is, And I mean, if you really don't know, know who Jesus is. And you think that you being stuck in that sin, you being stuck in that area of your life, and even if you do have Jesus in your heart, but you cannot go on to the next place he has for you because you're stuck in something, you're stuck in some type of guilt or shame in the past, God is saying no. God is saying to move, Because the thing about it, too, we sometimes say, well, I don't know, God, you can't use me. God, do you even know what I've done in my past? Oh, man, do you even know what I'm doing now? I am ashamed. I have guilt. I have something that's holding me back. And God, you know, I'm just going to fail you again. I'm going to mess up again. I'm going to make mistakes. And God's saying, you're not going to let me down because you never were holding me up. God was the one and is the one holding us in his hands. We are his clay. He is molding and he's saying, I'm gonna use that spoiled stuff and I'm gonna put it in your life and I'm gonna rework you, rework your soul, your spirit, your mind, your heart, and you're gonna be the beautiful masterpiece I am making you to be. You just have to trust the process. The altar is open. For those of you who don't really know Jesus, He's with open arms saying, come to me and I'm gonna use your life for glory. You're gonna be transformed because I've done it millions of times. And if you already have Jesus, Jesus is telling you to move on. Trust the process that he is molding you because we pray to be transformed. We pray to be used. We pray to be his vessels. So what I'm gonna challenge you with is, what if this time... We don't fight back. What if this time we let him mold us? No matter how hard it might get. Humble yourself. Trust the maker. Trust his hands. Trust his process. This face is beautiful. It's incredible. It's amazing. Hands of a talented, creative person. But in order to get to there in our lives, we got to say yes. we got to be willing to move. But we serve a God who's in the business of transformation. Amen. Isaiah 64.8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. And you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand.